Welcome into the fourth edition of the GLVC Show. Colin Surrey alongside my co-host Will Connerly of the Quincy Hawks and Joey Messenbrink is our producer of the U Indy Greyhounds in this one. All kinds of representation within the GLVC. We'll talk later in this show to Jacob Polakovich, the star for USI. But before we get any further, let me welcome in my partner, Will. How you doing, buddy? I'm great. Let's get right. Let's get to it. I'm looking forward to this one today. Chomping at the bit. We cannot wait to talk about some of the stuff that we saw and we get to it with a hard hitter right off the bat. On Thursday, Truman State takes down Lewis 89-76. to What a performance from the Bulldogs in this one. They shoot the lights out, a new program record 70% from the field in an offensive display that none will forget anytime soon that experienced it. Well, I mean, Truman State, we had maybe some concern what was going on. They had went then one and three in their last four, but they pick up a big victory against Lewis Flyers, who are at the top of the Great Lakes Valley Conference right now. It's just a great shooting performance from Truman State. When you can shoot above 70 percent at Neil Carey Arena, you're doing something pretty special. So that was just unreal what they did. McKnight was McKnight. Hayes Camp had 21. It was just uh, unbelievable what they were able to do against Lewis. And, you know, just one episode ago, we were talking about, hey, is there maybe a cause for concern here with Truman State? We both rated them pretty low on the level of, of concern, and they proved that you know, we had way too high a number at like three or four, I think is about where we rated them on one to 10 level of concern. I think it's at about a one right now for these Truman State Bulldogs. I'm not concerned at all with Truman State. I mean, their their offense is just so good. I think that you have Mason Miller, Cade McKnight, Hayes Camp, Northweather, Hunter Strait. I mean, this is just a high-octane offense. When you can put up 89 points against Lewis, you must be doing something right, and they certainly were. And also, I think a reason why they had so many good high-chance looks is because, Colin, they got on the glass so well during this game, and so that helped them. Even though Truman State nearly turned it over 20 times, it didn't matter because everything they put up win in the hole and that's what you need to do to win in the GLBC 70% will probably win you a hundred percent of your games if you can shoot that well yeah just unbelievable the shooting display that they had in that one and also again I've talked about it a little bit before but Hunter Strait moving to that role off the bench he still gets quite a bit of minutes off the bench for them but he has been so so good of late and it just seems when he is distributing and getting that team in rhythm they are nearly unstoppable and that's what we're seeing from Truman State once again as they take down Lewis 89 to 76 that result on Thursday once again and then the other Thursday game that we had your Quincy Hawks take down Illinois Springfield 80 to 74 in that game Quincy has been so good on the offensive glass all year long that continued in this one and they used a strong strong second half to take down the prairie stars it was great from quincy that was the second consecutive game where they came out with a dominant second half 
and doing it on the road at Illinois Springfield was impressive, and they were able to capitalize against a Springfield team that had Chris Hamill come in and make shot after shot, but in the second half, they limited the Prairie Stars, and they were able to get another great effort from Paul Zelinskis in this game. I mean, he's just really emerged, and I think he's one of these guys that's a rising star in the GLVC. Not many second-year freshmen, we can say, are doing what he's doing in the GLVC right right now. Yeah, I wanted to spend some time talking about Zelinskis because his level of consistency in this league has been extremely impressive to me. You see so many elite players in the GLVC. It's just the nature of this conference. It is so good. There are going to be times where you're not playing maybe up to your standards of what you think is your best basketball. The numbers might not always be there, but for Zelinskis, He's been that guy that Quincy can just count on night in and night out, and that is invaluable in this league. Yes, Zelenskis, I mean, he had back-to-back games with 23 points. It was his second time again this year scoring 23 against Maryville, which he did Monday. Then he drops 23 against UIS. In both of those games, Quincy needed late execution stops and baskets to pick up the victory, something that they did not do during their five-game win streak after they had their most impressive win of the season against Southwest Baptist. So they got back, and they pick up their second consecutive win in this one, and I think that a big reason why is because they've been getting good efforts from Paul Zelenskis, and then also Jalen Stamps has just continued to be very efficient for this Quincy Hawk team. So Quincy, again, a team that continues to be on the rise where they were last year in the GLVC compared to this year. Really impressive, the improvements that that team has been able to make. And you look at the remaining schedule for the Hawks. They take on Truman State on the road coming up next. And you look at some of those games, some winnable games, and then you cap things off at Southwest Baptist. And when you think about the points rating system, you don't necessarily look at some of these games like an at Truman State or an at Southwest Baptist like you would traditionally with the points system. Those are huge opportunities for Quincy and something that they can look forward to and should be a motivating factor for this team down the stretch. Right now sitting at 11th and you have two games that are worth 14 points combined at Sherman State, at Southwest Baptist, two teams above a 750 win percentage on the road. Certainly a great opportunity, and I know we'll get into it later in the show, but they feel like they owe Sherman State one after a a collapse at the finish with Sherman State hitting a late three to beat them. So yeah, I think it's definitely interesting. And think about March Madness. I mean, the seven to 11 matchups like those matchups are always so tightly contested and so good and that's kind of where that Quincy Hawk team sits right now yeah we've seen some really good matchups between teams in that range just in the regular season thus far so recapping those games on Thursday for you once more Truman over Lewis 89 to 76 and then Quincy over Illinois Springfield 80 to 74 and then we had a couple more games on Friday with another one canceled in William Jewell and U Indy not being played, but Southern Indiana was awfully impressive on Friday. They never gave Rockhurst a chance in that game, jumped all over them in the first half and cruised to a 90 to 64 victory. Oh, just impressive what they were able to do. I mean, they led 25 to seven early on. They held Rockhurst scoreless for a seven minute and 13 second stretch 
in the in the first half when Rockers went 0 for 10 from the floor during that span. That's t- called getting the clamps out. When you're up 45 to 20 at halftime, I mean, the game was over after that. I mean, it was USI won the battle on the glass 51 to 27. Rockers used a 16 to nothing run at the end of the game when they trailed by 35. But I mean, this one in Evansville was over pretty early and Jelani Simmons continued to play well for this team, along with the effort from Stafford and Polakovic nearly had a double double 10 points and just a rebound shy in 18 minutes of play. Again, just an impressive, efficient night for him as well. Yeah. It's a group with Southern Indiana that it's almost overwhelming when you look at some of the options that they have and what they can do to you from a physicality standpoint on the defensive side of the ball and then combining that with what they do on the glass, just dominating their opponents at the top of the league in terms of rebounding in the GLVC. Again, a dominant performance for them at home over Rockhurst, 90-64. to And then Umsel taking down Drury. Now, this one was very close throughout the first half. In fact, it was tied at halftime, 32 to 32. But the Tritons did pull away in the second half. Drury's been playing some better basketball of late here. You look at what Umsel, they they posted on their website. They said, Marty Jackson, was Marty Jackson in this game? And he was 19 points and 10 rebounds, three assists as well. But this game tied at the first half. That is for a jury team who's been struggling when you're tied on the road against Dumpsel at halftime. You can kind of take a little silver lining about that. Now, you do get outscored by 18 points in the second half, and you can kind of attribute that to being on the road against a very tough team. But it was a close game throughout. I mean, Umso went ahead 54 to 47 with about nine minutes left and then just kind of opened everything up with a 21 to eight run. And so that certainly hurt. And Umso finds ways to win games just beating you inside the three-point line. They're not really a good three-point shooting team, but they get downhill and their formula is outscore you in the paint. And that's what they did against Drury. Yeah, they are tremendous in that painted area. And when you talk about this Umsel team, it all starts on the defensive end, of course, led by Steve Webb. And he just makes plays over the course of a game. You talk a lot about in, in the game of basketball and sports in general, defense leading to offense. Steve Webb is the epitomization of that. And he came up big on the defensive side time and time again against Drury in the second half. And Umsel's going to need that the rest of this season. I think, you know, Maybe we expected them to be a little bit more dominant than they have looked thus far, but it's certainly a team that you wouldn't be surprised if they are at that number one spot come the regular season's end. Yeah, Umso gets high percentage looks because they get those steals in the front court with Yakima Rose or Steve Webb. And in this game, when it was close, Steve Webb got a steal, went coast to coast, got the basket. Had a, He's been having some good offensive games as of late, but it starts on the defensive end for him. That ignited this Umsel team. And when you see an Umsel team that gets ignited, that certainly is a, a level of concern that Drury had to experience uh, with that Umsel win, 80-62 to 62 in that game. And then the other game on Friday, Southern Indiana taking down Rockhurst 90-64. to And then we move over to the Saturday slate where we had a number of big-time games and some surprising results on this Saturday of basketball. Truman State dominant again in back-to-back performances. They're loving this condensed schedule. They stay hot 
follow up a 70% shooting performance with 67% from the field against one of the best defensive teams in this conference, UND, 89-73. Again, the final in that one. They held UND to five offensive rebounds and 18 rebounds total. Some of the numbers from this game are hard to believe when you look at them. Truman State did a number on Indianapolis in this game because of the fact that it seemed like a bulldog. They ran into a bulldog team that was just on a mission. When you look at what Truman State was going through, they were one and three. They had lost two in a row. The home streak was ended. They put 89 points up against Lewis. They put another 89 against Indianapolis. Back-to-back games, it's their best shooting games of the season. 70% against Lewis, 67 percent against Indianapolis the two best shooting performances of the year in back-to-back games the Bulldogs are hot and Mason Miller was just cutting the nets apart against Indianapolis in that game I mean Sherman started hot I think they were kind of on a little bit of a mission opening the game on a 13 to 4 run they led by as many as 22 in the first half but you got to give credit to you Indy they kind of cut it to six at halftime Corey Miller Jr. was just lighting up the three-point line but ultimately it wasn't enough in this game despite a great effort it's hard to win when you surrender 89 points and it's more of a credit to just Truman just being so efficient on the offensive end in this one and that's ultimately what won them this game yeah certainly let's not lose track of the fact that Corey Miller Jr. went for 23 points and seven of nine shooting from the three-point line and That makes it all the more impressive what Truman State was able to do despite that impressive performance from Corey Miller Jr., a dominant win for the Bulldogs, 89-73 over UIndy. And then we move on to McKendree taking on Rockhurst on Saturday, and it was the Bearcats coming away with a 72-63 victory in that one. The Bearcats jumped out to a 12-point lead at about the midway point of the first half. Boltman went to the bench in some foul trouble, and Rockhurst climbed back into it. But when Boltman came back to open up the second half, that was all she wrote. An 11-0 run for the Bearcats to open up the second half, sparked by that man, Bryce Boltman, one of the candidates for Conference Player of the Year. It was great. It was a great effort by Boltman, especially when you look at he was limited in the first half, not only in the scoring column, three points in the first half, but... 17 second half points for him. They came out on a mission in the second half. I think that one thing when you go back and watch this game, Colin, and obviously you were there calling the game, but McKendry, now they've won six of seven in GLVC play. They're right now, they're fifth in the table of GLVC standing. So right now in position to get that first round home game. And they come out and say, well, it was a good ball game at halftime. That 11 to nothing run to start the second half really seemed like it put the game away. And they got Boltman involved. That was kind of what was missing in the first half. And they, they dropped some plays for him. He scored some baskets. And then he just when you let him get going, you're right. It, it's very difficult to defend him. I know that Rockhurst, they still had some good individual efforts on the other end of the floor. But, I mean, the Bearcats, <laughs> Colin, one thing I want to get to is they got the ball up from the three-point line in this game. I mean, how many... They took 33 three-pointers in this game. It almost seems like when you look at that, you're like, man, 
they were forcing the three a little bit too much, but they were good looks and they were pretty efficient from beyond the arc in this one. Yeah, they were great looks. And that's something about this McKendry team that you have to love if you're a coach. And George Suggs, being the head coach of McKendry, I know has had a lot of fun coaching this group this year. They are just unafraid in so many different ways. I mean, they're they're giving the Bearcats a lot of looks from three in the first half. They take 18 of their 25 attempts from the three-point line in the first half, and they miss 12 of them. So, you know, at the end of the day, a 33% rate from the three-point line, that's not awful, but there's something about being a shooter. You watch 12 miss from the three-point line in the first half, and that does something to you psychologically sometimes. Not these Bearcats. They immediately come out of the break. Suggs runs a pin down for Boltman up at the top of the key. He gets an open look and splashes it home, and that led to three made three-pointers for the Bearcats in a, in a row in that 11-0 run, and that just exemplifies a lot of what this team is about. They're experienced, they're tough, and you can put them in very few situations that they're uncomfortable in. And I'm impressed with the way that this team is coached in so many different ways because you'll see opponents take away one aspect of this McKendry offense, and the Bearcats have the counter, and they're ready, and their players are on the same page, and that's a testament to the coaching staff. And want to give Trent Blackledge, who comes over from uh, SWIC, actually playing overseas professional basketball for over a decade for him, but a local product comes back, a part of Coach Suggs' uh, staff, and he's been a huge part of the success for the Bearcats in this one too. But, you know, we're spending a lot of time talking about McKendry. This was a Rockhurst team that had won five of eight of their of their last conference games, all of those coinciding with a couple of key transfers coming in for them in Jihad Thornton, as well as Romanov, the Israeli that we've talked about in previous episodes. And, you know, you look at the overall records and you say, yeah, this is a game that McKendry should have taken care of business in. But even more impressive when you consider the way that Rockhurst has been playing. And they did. They they limited Boltman in the first half. But how about what Gooch was able to do? If he doesn't have a Baker's dozen, 13 points in the first half, imagine what the halftime deficit would have been for McKentry. But they come out 11 to nothing run, have a good second half. They take 33 of their 52 shots from three. But... You make 14 threes, you're going to win a lot of ball games, and you shoot 42% as a team from three. That certainly is impressive. The Bearcats, they're certainly on a roll right now, and uh, they're a team to watch out for because it's not just Boltman who can beat you, even though he is the number one guy that we talk about. Yeah, and quickly before we move on, you go back to talking about Brendan Gooch. That's what was missing in that one and four start for the Bearcats at the beginning of this year. They get Gooch back at the turn of the calendar into 2022. And you see it right there. You said it before, six of seven now in GLVC play. This is a dangerous, dangerous team at full strength. And that's what the Bearcats are right now as they take down Rockhurst 72 to 63 on their home floor on Saturday. And then we move to a big time upset. And, you know, maybe saying a big time upset is a little bit of disrespect to William Jewell at this point. They are just an impressive team, 64-60. to 60. They go into Evansville and take down Southern Indiana. Jordan Germain can ball, man, and Kobe McKinley is really, really coming into his own. 
I mean, this was the biggest win of the season for William Jewell, biggest win of recent memory for William Jewell to win on the road at Southern Indiana. William Jewell now 11 and 10, 7 and 6 in GLVC play. The most wins now in the Chris McCabe era. Certainly impressive for William Jewell what they're able to do. Completely turning around what they were last year. They're a team now that is in the conversation. They're in the top eight currently after this victory. And yes, McKinley, a double-double, 20 points, 12 rebounds. Jermaine's been balling. But how about William Jewell dominating USI on the glass? And I wonder how much of a factor USI having to play back-to-back days had into this. But Kobe McKinley, he's just been so improved after just averaging three points the last two years. He's averaging 12.6 points per game. And in every time William Jewell has won this season, McKinley's been in double figures. That's kind of a key for them. Well, you know, that's interesting, the point that you make about Southern Indiana playing back-to-back. And we have praised this team so much for their depth and their physical style of play. Well, you know, their opponents don't have to play Southern Indiana-style basketball every game. But the Screaming Eagles do. So... It'll be interesting to see. I think that stamina for this team is going to be tested, and I think they'll be up to the task at the end of the day. Of course, Stan Girard gets that group ready to go better than just about any coach at the Division II level or any level of college basketball for that matter. But that's something I think to look out for because, you know, the the hard-nosed defense, the rebounding, all of that is hustle, effort, energy. And how much hustle, effort, and energy do you have at the end of the week when you played three games, had however many exams? I mean, we forget that these guys are student athletes, and they've got all kinds of responsibilities outside of the hardwood as well. Yes, and going back to back, the day before, they coasted to a victory, had a lot of guys get some rest as well. So you don't know how much of a factor that played. But I mean, William Jewell, they dominated the glass in this game. And that's why they were able to win this one. When you go plus 11 against Southern Indiana, you're probably going to win the ball game. And Jermaine and McKinley were certainly balling in this one. The Cardinals have confidence. They're playing really well. They've got a winning record in GLBC play. They're surprising a lot of people this year. And again, it was just a big time victory for them a key victory for them you get a lot of points to win against a good team on the road that's what William Jewell did and I think that if McKinley can continue to keep going you got to think about him as one of the most improved players in the league just with the way that he's contributing on the offensive end for William Jewell and just good for the Cardinals nothing but praise for the coaching job that has been done over in Liberty Missouri for this team to now be in the conversation uh, for a team that's going to compete for the Great Lakes Valley Conference tournament title toward the end of the year when you go beat Southern Indiana that certainly gives the team a load of confidence. Well, it's an exciting time to be a William Jewell fan right now. I mean, my goodness, you got Kobe McKinley, one of the guys who has a, a chance to be maybe the most improved player in the conference, like you talked about, averaging just about three and a half points the two years previous, and now he's exploded for 12 and a half this year. And then you've got a great candidate, maybe the strongest case right now for GLVC Coach of the Year in Chris McCabe. So. William Jewell, a big-time win, 64-60 to 60, over Southern Indiana in Evansville. And then we move on to another marquee game, a well, marquee finish in this conference. I mean, just 
Night in and night out, there's something crazy that happens in the GLVC. Well, Kelvin Swims did it this time. He had the game-winning basket with just seconds remaining to take down Missouri S&T. And that's a Miners team that's been playing some great basketball. Kevin did a great job just putting the ball in the hole, Colin. Game-winning basket, 13.8 seconds left. Puts Maryville on top. S&T has an opportunity toward the end of the game, but they don't get it done. Maryville picks up a win against Missouri S&T. Going into this game, Colin, I thought, okay, this is going to be a toss-up. Maryville, they're better than what their record shows, but Missouri S&T has been kind of making some noise this year with the way that Julian Smith had been playing for them, and it, I thought it was going to come down to the wire. It certainly did in this one, but how about Swims? The late layup that he makes, 13.8 seconds left, along with the Lindenwood transfer, Cameron Scales, who gave 18 points in this game, also getting on the glass in this one, and that's why they're able to pick up the victory against Missouri S&T. Great for a Maryville team to win at home and you're able to hold Julian Smith to just one for nine from three point range, his least efficient game of the year. He scored 14 points, but he took 15 shots in this game playing 40 minutes. He was one of nine from the three point line and three of 15 from the floor. And of course, every team wants to watch out for Julian Smith and try to shut him down. Well, Maryville did that and that's why they pick up a one point win. Yeah, so Swims gets the game winner, but it's the collective effort to hold down Julian Smith from the three-point line. You have to do that to give yourself a chance against Missouri S&T, and that's exactly what the Saints did coming up with the 73-72 to victory as we move along to Drury with a one-point victory over Lindenwood in another late thriller in the GLVC conference. Malik Davis drops in 31 points and Drury comes away with the win on the road. They hold on. I mean, Drury, they go out and escape a road win in St. Charles. The Panthers trailed most of the second half. They were down by eight with eight minutes to go. But then Davis came down the floor, hit a three-pointer with about two minutes left to take the lead. Lindenwood continued to respond, tying it back up. But then it came down to Kevin Caldwell Jr. at the line. A minute and 20 seconds left. He made one of two, had a chance to tie it, but missed one of the foul shots. And then Jury had the one-point lead with a minute 20 left, and that was the last scoring that we saw in that game. The Lions had a chance to win with nine seconds left, but Jury draws up a trap midcourt. Davis, the star of this game, gets the game-winning steal, and the Panthers will run out the clock. I mean, Davis was just huge in the first half with 18 points, finishes with 31. Jury took care of the ball, only seven turnovers. And, man, that that is a, a nice response by Jury to pick up a one-point win on the road there. Yeah, and what a difference, you know, a week and a half can make in this conference to look at where Truman State was and kind of the state around where their basketball program was and then to look at where Lindenwood was at that time, how hot the Lions were, and now the Lions have kind of dropped off and you have this heartbreaking loss on top of it to kind of cap it off. And you look at Truman State now playing some of the best basketball maybe in the entire country, and that really just shows you in this conference you never know what you're going to get you better tune in because something crazy is going to happen every single week. And we saw it again, once again, with a big victory for Drury over Lindenwood, 75 to 74. And then we move on to another 
big result. Southwest Baptist 70 to 66 over Umsel and the Tritons unable to get it done against a really, really good Southwest Baptist team. And you start looking at the resume that the Bearcats are putting together 15 and four overall, nine and three in GLVC play. I mean, we talk a lot about the U.S. size, the Truman States, and those type of schools at the top of this conference. Southwest Baptist is really knocking on that door. Hey, we belong in that elite company. No, they are. They they absolutely are in that elite company. I mean, they get an impressive win on the road against Dumsel. I think uh, Jaleel Bowburn, again, another pretty good game for him. 18 points, five rebounds. And he did that. When you look at what a forward does against Dumsel, he's going up against an all GLVC forward and Marty Jackson. That was the X factor matchup in this one. I mean, Marty Jackson still had 20 points. He was a bucket as he always is, but that was a pretty good matchup between the two forwards, both nearly getting 20 points in this one. But SBU was efficient, shot above 50% from the floor, and they didn't allow Umsel. Again, Umsel struggled from the three-point line, just 18% at 2 of 11 from downtown. I know that's not a big part of Umsel's game, but what is is being tough on the glass, and SBU was able to get the key victory because of the glass. Once again, SBU, 29-18 to advantage on the glass. The glass effort for Southwest Baptist continues to be very impressive. This game was close, though. I mean, Steve Webb tied it up with about six and a half minutes to play, but then Boburn turned around and made a three-pointer on the ensuing possession, and the Bearcats held on to the lead the rest of the way. How about the big man, Boburn? We talk about the forward, but he can shoot the ball a little bit from three-point range. I mean, 44% on the season from three. He's 15 of 34, so he's not going to have an overwhelming amount of volume from beyond the arc. Went two of five in this game, but he makes you respect the perimeter. He's had four different games where he's just taken one three-pointer, and He's made it one for one is pretty good because that adds three points for your team, but it also makes teams respect it. When you get the catch on the perimeter, you can't just dare him to shoot because he'll fire it. And he's shown that he can make it at a pretty high clip this year. Uh, I'm going to get into Jaleel Boburn in a little bit because we're looking at a guy who is right there. He is ascending into superstardom right before our eyes. And I want to talk about just the balance of the Southwest Baptist team first, though. You, you watch this team play, and there is not much that they can't do. They share the basketball beautifully on the offensive end. They've got some good shooters, a good inside-out game. And on the defensive end of the floor, they've got per- perimeter disruptors and a Mitch Note. Jaleel Boburn leads the conference in block shots per game at about two block shots a game. And that's a tremendous matchup when you look at this game against Umsel. They want to get their work done in the paint. You got that guy that can deny you at the rim in a Jaleel Boburn. And I think that's why you saw Marty Jackson have maybe a little bit more success in this game because he is that guy that can stress you from the mid-range. Of course, he's got that great interior game as well. But he is a little bit more versatile as a forward where maybe you can get that scoring out there from him. But when you watch Southwest Baptist games, the impact that Jaleel Boburn makes when he is on the floor is tremendous on both ends. I mean, that is what every coach is looking for in today's game of basketball. What you just described, a guy that can step out, 
knockdown shots from the outside on the offensive end, provide the spacing for your team. He's awfully skilled for a big guy as well. And then you go over to the defensive end of the floor, and every team wants that big-time rim protector, and he might be the very best in the conference. So look out for the Southwest Baptist team. I mean, you start looking at how everything is coming together for them. This is a tremendous, tremendous basketball squad. They're really good, and I think their record shows it 15-4 and four overall. You don't get there by accident. They shoot the ball with efficiency. They're the best rebounding team in terms of rebounding margin, That one of the best in the nation. Bo Byrne protects the rim. They're a good team, and, and they're able to win in different ways. They can beat you 70-66. to 66. They can beat you in a shootout. They can beat you when the game is low scoring. They win on the road. They're 9-1. and one at home and they're set up to play a home game in the opening round of the GOVC tournament. So certainly going to be a tough task for a team toward the bottom of the conference that is going to have to go to Southwest Baptist once those seedings do come out. So that is the final game of that Saturday slate. Southwest Baptist on top of UMSL 70 to 66 in that one. And now we move to the standings as those final results on Saturday set the table for what are our point system points rating system here in the GLVC and it is led by the Lewis Flyers on top with a 4.39 points rating system or points average points I should say Truman State at 4.12 Southern Indiana 4.04 at third Southwest Baptist is in fourth McKendry fifth Umsel sixth UND 7th, William Jewell is in 8th, or actually William Jewell and Missouri S&T are tied for ninth there, I believe, and then Lindenwood, Quincy, Rockhurst, Maryville, UIS, and Drury at the bottom of those standings, but you you look at this, and, and the way that it's set up, you get the most amount of points for a win on the road against a team that's above 750. And, you know, you can go ahead and look at all the, the explanation of, of these points. But essentially, you beat good teams on the road, you get more points. If you beat a team that doesn't have as good of a record, you get less points at home. And right now, Lewis, with that 7-2 and two starting conference play, they're on top. No, absolutely. And I know the Lewis Flyers, when we talk about that game, uh, the one game that we talk about, 83 to 73, they top Quincy by 10 points after trailing by 11 at halftime. And Lewis put putting together another good GLBC win. I know they came off the loss against Truman State, but they're still, I mean, you look at how impressive this Lewis Flyers team is. The physicality of this team is so impressive. They're seven and two in GLBC play, the least amount of losses in the whole league. That's why they're at the top of the table. They pick up the win against Quincy. And the one note I will say about that game, Colin, is coming into the game, the Lewis Flyers were the number one three-point shooting team in the entire nation. However, Quincy did a pretty good job on the three-point line against the Lewis Flyers in that game. It was the big interior presence, the paint presence, that certainly hurt the Hawks in this game in the second half. I mean, Lewis just was so dominant in the second half. They switched up what they did defensively to pick up the win at home against Quincy, but 
Atkins saw Hankaya was just a big body in this game with 20 points. He had seven of 10 from the floor, eight rebounds, two assists, two blocks, two steals. He was great. They had four in double figures, but they only went four of 11, 36% from beyond the arc, a team that typically is approaching 45%. So you do a pretty good job limiting the three, but that's why they're at the top of the table, Colin, because they can beat you in multiple ways, whether it's Bruno Williams and Atkins saw Hankaya in the paint, along with, of course, a GOVC player of the year candidate in Connor Nego in the paint, or it's their guys like Frerichs getting up those three-point shots that just seem to fall in time in and time out. So yeah, Lewis on top and Sherman right behind him, then Southern Indiana and Southwest Baptist. That top four is really, really good. Yeah, my apologies there, partner. Skipped over that last game on the Saturday slate. And going back to that for a, a real quick second, once again, that Quincy and Lewis game, Quincy was on top, 43-32 after the first half. It was a big-time second-half effort from Lewis to push them over the top. And you mentioned Arakan Sahinkaya, and I just love this guy's game. He reminds me a little bit of like a, a Jaime Hawkes, if you've watched any UCLA basketball. Just brings so—you can tell he loves the game. You know, the way he plays out there, giving up his body time and time again— and it's so hard to to really kind of tread that line of playing with high energy but not being out of control. San Kaya does it with the best of them, and, and he was really impressive in that one. Again, the reason why Lewis is on top in those standings, and let's take another look at those standings as we move along here. And Lewis is got some pretty good separation at the top there. And when you look at the way that things set up, and you're rewarded for playing those teams with a better record, if you are in a division where where their records are higher than an, another division and you play those opponents twice, that's a big advantage for those teams. So we're getting to that point of the season where all of the, all of the GLVC East teams are all each other's biggest fans, as is the same for the Central and the West. Uh, when you look at what's happening here with the top five, look at the East Division so well represented there. Lewis one, Southern Indiana three. Then you've got McKendry at five and Indianapolis not far behind at seven. So out of the East's five teams, four of them are in position to either get a buy or host an opening round home game. The East has played really good basketball and yeah, you got to cheer for your teams after you beat them to keep winning. So their win percentage goes up. It's kind of an odd thing how the points rating system works, but yes, the East is well represented toward the top of the table for the GOVC men's basketball standings. Yeah. And interesting when you, you look at some of these games moving forward though, you know, I talk about the East teams playing each other being a big benefit, and those winning percentages are updated on a weekly basis. So things change, you know, on the fly. It's very dynamic the way that this rating system works. But the way that the schedule was set up this season, all of the teams within their division, they got all of those inner division games out of the way right off the top at the beginning of the schedule. And now we're seeing all of those teams play intra-division games against opposing divisions. And that's where we're going to start to see the separation down the stretch and more variability because, you know, you just don't know whether you draw a team from the central, whether it's going to be at the top 
or near the bottom in terms of their winning percentage and how that affects the opportunity for points moving forward on your schedule. Now, it's something to watch out for with teams with about five games left to see how the table will shift. But I think a big thing that sticks out is you still got with the teams, Truman, Southern Indiana, Southwest Baptist, McKendry, Umsel, Indianapolis, and William Jewell all going to get to play home games, at least right now. But I look at some of these potential matchups that you have. I mean, William Jewell and Missouri S&T or Indianapolis and Lindenwood. I know that there's some tiebreakers that we haven't necessarily got into, so we don't even want to start to dissect any of these matchups yet because it's going to be obviously changing on a consistent basis. But you've got a lot of teams that are up there, but some of those teams that are even in the bottom half that would travel on the road seem like they can be dangerous. I mean, Drury sitting at 15th, look at how they've played. Illinois Springfield has won, has had a stretch where they've won four games in a row. They start all underclassmen. What if they start to play well? And then Maryville, we know that they've struggled, but they just picked up a victory. Rockhurst as well has had a stretch where they've played well. Same thing with Quincy and Lindenwood. They've had stretches where they've been pretty dangerous. So that opening round, talk about March Madness. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be crazy. GLVC madness. We've been living it and breaking it down for you right here on the GLVC show. We've got a good host of games coming up right here on Monday. And I am so excited for some of these coming up. And I cannot wait to get to call this Southwest Baptist in McKendry game. Just kind of, you know, when when they say styles make fights, this one is going to be incredibly entertaining. If you love the game of basketball, tune into this Southwest Baptist and McKendry game at least a little bit tonight if you can. I guarantee you, you're, you are not going to be disappointed with what you see. Oh, that's going to be a great game. I think that Southwest Baptist has proven to be one of the best teams in the league. Then you have McKendry, who is playing like one of the best teams in the league right now, which ultimately puts them in the conversation to be one of the best teams in the league with the run that they've been on, picking up victory after victory. Their fifth, Southwest Baptist is fourth. Southwest Baptist going on the road. That this is a big this is the biggest matchup of the night, no doubt about it. And I think there's a lot of excitement because you've got Boltman, you've got some high-level performers. You know what Southwest Baptist does on the glass. You know how well McKendry can play on both ends of the floor. So I think in this game, it's definitely going to come down to if McKendry, like they have done well this season, can they defend the three-point line? Can they limit some of those high-efficiency looks from Southwest Baptist? Because they're a team that gets a lot of really, really good looks. However, McKendry, they have Boltman, they have Gooch, they have Hensler, and they have some confidence heading into this home game on Monday night. Yeah, I think certainly the three-point line on both ends of the floor is going to be huge in this game. It's a McKendry team that has shot it really well from downtown lately. They made 14 threes in their last game. And when you've got that guy, Bo Burn, down low underneath the bucket, you got to be able to space the floor somehow. And for McKendry, got to hold your own on the glass against an SBU team that has just been beating up opponents all year long. 
and one thing I do say about that game is how good has Boltman been about just getting those slips to the basket? And I think that in the screening of McKendry is really good. And that's why they've won six of their last seven in GLBC play. They have good screens. Have you seen firsthand? They get those backdoor cuts. Can they get Bo Burn out in some ball screen situations, kind of try to expose him and take him downhill in this game? Or do they try to attack the great shot blocker? I'm excited to see how they attack him on the offensive end when McKendry has the basketball and to see how that ultimately will go and who's going to defend him. Are they going to try to attack Boltman, get him in foul trouble, which is certainly what happened last game. But uh, the bear of bad news still came in the second half and the opposing teams have just gotten uh, headaches against Boltman this year. So I'm going to be locked into this one. It's going to be certainly the biggest matchup of the night. Yeah, the overall matchup is fun, and you look at some of those individual matchups, the game within the game, too. Luke Hensler matched up with Jaleel Boburn, two guys cut from the same cloth, rim protectors, can step out and knock down the three-point shot, put the ball on the floor if you need them to as well. It's going to be so much fun. I I am so excited for that game. Southwest Baptist, fourth in the GLVC McKendry fifth in the points rating system as we move on to the next game on this Monday slate. Rockhurst at 10 and 13 overall, 5 and 8 in the conference, good for 12th overall, taking on Umsel, the Tritons 14 and 6 on the season and 8 and 5 in conference, 6th in the GLVC. And this is an Umsel team that I think we're still kind of waiting for them to hit their stride here down the stretch. I fully expect Umsel to play really well tonight. I think that you look at some of their recent results, they've played well at times. They've they've picked up. They're coming off that loss to Southwest Baptist. I expect them to play pretty well against Rockhurst in this game. Marty Jackson versus Nick Voles, I think, is a good matchup. But remember when we talked about this a couple weeks ago? Remember how good Rockhurst has shown they could be? I think Umsel has a little bit of revenge on their mind as we come into this game because of the fact that when you look back at what the Umsel Tritons did just a couple weeks ago, and Rockhurst was able to beat them by a point, 68 to 67, just a couple weeks ago. So you look at tonight against Dumsel at home, I certainly think that they're going to come ready to play. And I think that you could see a little bit of a wider margin in this game because of the fact that they lost last time they played against Rockhurst. Yeah, and, and like we talked about, Rockhurst, kind of their turnaround in conference play coinciding with getting those couple of transfers back. That was right at the beginning of that time when they took on Umsel, when they got Romanov and Thornton eligible as transfers, and they've made a huge impact on that team. And we've seen it, and I think this has a lot to do with the the extremely high level of coaching that we see within the GLVC. You see this in this conference. Guys that there isn't a scouting report necessarily for, they can kind of explode on the scene And then once teams start to figure out what you're good at, what we need to take away, there's an adjustment that is very clear that is made. And I think we'll probably see that adjustment made from Umsel, like you alluded to in that one. The Tritons taking on Rockhurst on Monday. And then we go to Lindenwood, ninth in the conference, taking on UWindy, 11-7 overall, 5-5 in the conference, but seventh in the points rating system. And you, Indy, you know, you you get into the placements in the point rating system. And sometimes it's even more important to look at, you know, the separation between those places. 
And UND is not far away from being in the top five with where they are in the rating system. You pick up a big win here against a Lindenwood team that's been struggling a little bit lately. And I think this is a Greyhounds team that can really go on a run down the stretch. This is going to be a matchup of two of the better scorers in the league. Romello Burrell for Lindenwood and Corey Miller Jr. for Indianapolis. The two top 10 scorers in the GLBC, both over 16 points per game. It's going to be a great matchup. Corey Miller Jr., like we talked about, has been playing great as of late. And I know that when I talk about Lindenwood and scores, I have to mention the fourth leading scorer in the GLBC in Jacoby Ross, 19.1 points per game. They also have the sixth leading scorer in the GLBC in Romello Burrell with 16.1 points per game, along with Corey Miller Jr. not far behind also with 16.1 points per game. So you got some high-level stars in this game, some all-league players in this game, and it's going to be a good one. Indianapolis at home in position to beat Lindenwood and improve to above 500 in GLBC play. I think that's going to be a great matchup, but you're right. They're separated only by a few placements in the standings, Indianapolis 7th and Lindenwood 9th. So it's an opportunity for both both teams, Lindenwood trying to get into position where they can have a home game in St. Charles, Indianapolis trying to stay there and keep getting victories. That's going to be another great matchup. Yeah, the Lions not far removed again from really coming away with some impressive victories in conference. And if they can find that level of play again, that's a team to look out for as well as we move forward. William Jewell is going to take on Drury and the Panthers as well on Monday night. Jewell at 11 and 10 overall, 7 and 6 in conference play. That's eighth in the GLVC in the points rating system. Drury in 15th. And again, we talked about this William Jewell team. You know, this isn't just a fun little story for the Cardinals. This is a legit team that is taking down really, really good opponents. No, William Jewell has played well. They're they're a legit team. I think, though, that for Drury... They now get to start a three-game homestand here on Monday night with William Jewell coming to town. So when you look at the Panthers, they're four and three at home, but they're one and eight on the road. So they've played much better at home. They're coming off a win. Could they maybe pick up some home victories? They played three consecutive home games. William Jewell now, which of course on a Monday night was rescheduled from earlier in the year, then Southern Indiana, and then McKendry. So that's going to be interesting. Obviously, it's a pretty tough schedule with three consecutive teams, actually five consecutive teams that they'll play that are all currently in the top eight. When you go Jewel, Southern Indiana, McKendry, at Lewis, at UND. That's five consecutive games for Drury with all teams in the top eight. So that's certainly going to be extremely difficult. But that also is an opportunity for Drury because of how good their schedule is to pick up some points to move up from where they are right now, which is at the bottom of the table at 15th. They've been limited. They haven't got to play a ton of conference games, but it will be an interesting matchup. William Jewell, they've, they've got some good players. Their guards have been shooting the ball well, but Drury does as well. You just saw what Davis did the other night. Okafor has played well at times for Drury, and William Jewell with Jermaine, with McKinley, with Harry Shiyoyo on the glass. I think there's going to be some good X-Factor matchups in this game, and I think that William Jewell, if they all of a sudden pick up another victory, you, you wonder how high they could climb before the season end in the GLBC table. 
Yeah, look out for William Jewell and a good opportunity for first-year head coach Chris Foster and the Panthers to, like you talked about, they've been limited in terms of the overall games that they've been able to play, develop some rhythm, start to get some chemistry out there, and really lay the foundation for that system and culture that Foster wants to bring there down in Springfield, Missouri. And then we move on to the Prairie Stars of Illinois Springfield at 4-9 and nine in conference, taking on the Lewis Flyers, who sit atop the standings. This one will take place in Romeoville, so in the Flyers' house. This is going to be a really tough task for a team that's still trying to find themselves in Illinois Springfield, but sometimes these are the kind of situations that bring out the best in a team that is in that scenario. Well, for Lewis, I think that they have a really advantageous upcoming schedule as well. They're in a position not just to be first now, but to finish the year first. They're seven and two, looking to improve to eight and two tonight. And then when you kind of look ahead, they're at Rockhurst and at William Jewell, two winnable games for them. Then they play Jury, Southwest Baptist, McKendry, Maryville, and Missouri S&T. So only a couple upper-tier teams left on Lewis's schedule, and that's why they are in first right now, because they have played a lot of good teams, and they have beaten a lot of those teams being 7-2 and two in this league. And, of course, I think that it's going to be a tough test for Illinois Springfield in this game. I fully expect Lewis to play really well in this game, but one piece of concern that you do have for this Lewis Flyers team is they are so deep, they are so good, but they went from playing Truman Monday to Truman Thursday to Quincy Saturday to now Illinois Springfield Monday. So in from a Monday to Monday span, four games, how can that physicality of this team go up against Illinois Springfield? I think it's going to be a three-point shooting contest. Illinois Springfield shoots so many threes. We It's been well documented of how good Lewis is from the three-point line, one of the best in the nation. So I think it's just going to come down to three-point shooting after three-point shooting. And Illinois Springfield has proven to be dangerous when they can make the threes like they did when they beat Umsel. So you'll see what can happen happen in this game it's still certainly going to be interesting and a lot of times in the games where we think okay Lewis could run away by a couple possessions late in this game those are the games that ending end up being the one-point affairs yeah no doubt and you talked a little bit about uh this Lewis team in the physicality that they bring on a night in and night out basis very similar to Southern Indiana they are going to be tested with this condensed schedule down the stretch with a lot of these games taking place on Monday you know I was looking at it for McKendry, it sets up at the end of their year. They've got eight games in an 18-day stretch to finish out the season. I mean, that is intense. You know, that's an NBA schedule type thing that you're looking at right there with that many games in a short amount of time period, and that might even not be doing it justice. So we'll see how the Flyers stand up to that. They've done well so far. Again, first in the conference. No, certainly. And if there was, of course, we talk about awards. I know the GLBC gives out coach of the year, freshman of the year, first team all GLBC and player of the year. Then we talk about other awards like most improved, kind of an arbitrary award. The GLBC doesn't give it out, but we we were going to talk about it, covering everything about the GLBC. But we will. one thing that's certainly interesting, Colin, is that you look at what Lewis has done when they're at full strength. Look at what they did when they went up against Truman State the first time. They had a big 6'6 forward, and Dion Edgem shut down Cade McKnight. He had his worst game of the season. Didn't play the second time against Truman. Truman found a groove, breaking a program record with 70-plus percent. That is a big body in the paint. 
their big bodies are just overwhelming. Atticon saw in Kaya, he, he has to be leading the GLVC in dunks. I mean, he hammers the rim night in and night out, did it a couple times this past Saturday. And then you also probably have the GLVC player of the year primary candidate on the team because typically it goes to the best player on the best team. And right now that's Connor Nego with 15.7 points a game, 7.3 rebounds a game. And then you can't not mention Bruno Williams and Dre Bell and Marty Jackson or Marquise Jackson. I mean, this team is so deep. They've got a lot of different players who can play so well for you. They have multiple multiple above 50% three-point shooters. So it's just unbelievable. That's why they're in first right now. And it's a team that you just, it's a good team that makes winning plays down the stretch. And that's what good teams do. They've got the shooters, they've got the size, and they're a team that's going to be able to control the tempo moving forward. And so I'm interested to see how they can defend the three-point line against Illinois Springfield because when Lewis has struggled this year, it's been when they haven't defended the three well, but certainly that overwhelming pressure is what Illinois Springfield is going to have to deal with against Lewis at Neil Carey Arena, a difficult place to play. Most certainly, and it's almost like we prepped for this show or something because you've segued perfectly into our next topic. We talked a little bit in the last episode about GLVC potential players of the year. I want to talk a little bit now this time about potential coach of the year candidates as we move forward. And you went through that litany of names for Lewis. Jesse Shaw has got to get some consideration for coach of the year, in my opinion. You look at what he did, kind of bringing them all the way, or excuse me, I got a Maryville's coach right there. Uh, But, you know, the the job of Lewis's coaching to get them in another successful position after winning the conference tournament last year. No, I I absolutely believe that Scott Trost, the head coach of the Lewis Flyers, certainly, I mean, he might be the front runner right now, 16th season at the helm. He's the Lewis Flyers all-time winningest men basketball coach in, in that program's history, and he has done a great job. When you go through a 44-day hiatus of back to from one GLVC game to the next, how easy would it be to check out? You need a good leader, and that's what he's been. He coaches well. How many times have they been down at half, and then he has come out with adjustments in the second half to win games? I mean, he's done a great job. He, he's on his way to just another just great performance in this league, and I know that he's a candidate. I know over in Lebanon there's a candidate as well in what Suggs has done with a team who was picked last in the GLBC. And then you also have to think about what William Jewell has done, how they come completely have shocked a lot of people this year and how McCabe has the Cardinals as a team that certainly is dangerous. And and I like what you mentioned. I mean, Shaw has picked up a lot of wins for Maryville this year in, in, in non-league play and a team that certainly wasn't projected to get many wins. This is the most wins that they've had in a couple years. So Shaw certainly, um, if Maryville can finish strong, is still in that conversation, Colin. Yeah, certainly was meaning to talk about Trost there. My apologies as he is in his 16th season with Lewis, and he has had them as just one of those consistent programs that year in and year out, you know that this Lewis team is going to be so good. And he is so well-respected within the GLVC if you talk to anyone within the league. But I want to circle back to Chris McCabe for William Jewell because the job that he has done there, you cannot say enough about the ball that this Cardinals team is playing right now, and you look at the way that it's set up, it's a team that's built to be good in the future as well. 
no, you're right. They've got some youth. They've got some talent. They've got some good players. I think that we kind of hit on at least the top four candidates for that award with Suggs, McCabe, and also what Trost has done, and, and Shaw as well. I know you mentioned that basically, but look at what, I mean, Maryville 10 wins. I know they're 4-8 and eight in GLBC play. Don't mention that just a couple years ago, they were toward the bottom of the league, and they were a team that was 1-19 in GLBC play. I'm not saying he's going to win the award, but he's certainly a team that was 1-19 to now have picked up four GLBC wins and pick up 10 wins, the most wins that they have had in four seasons. I mean, that certainly has to be something that you do look at. I know William Jewell also, with the win total they have from last year, you can't ignore what that has happened as well. So I would say my top candidates for that award right now would be Trost, Suggs, and McCabe. No doubt about it. And as we talked about earlier in the show, we've got a tremendous interview to cap off this episode of the GLV sh- GLVC show. We've got Jacob Polakovich joining us of Southern Indiana to wrap this one up. So without further ado, here he is. We're now joined by star forward for the University of Southern Indiana Screaming Eagles, Jacob Polakovich averaging a double-double on the year for the junior out of Grand Rapids, Grand Rapids, Michigan, 11.5 points over 10 rebounds a game. That's top 10 in the nation. Jacob, thank you, and welcome to the show. Really excited to get to talk to you today. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I said it's going to be a lot of fun. And we want to get started really from the roots. Where did you get interested in the game of basketball and how did you fall in love with it? You don't get as good as you do without having a serious passion for the game. Yeah, you know, it, uh, it, it, it's something I've always enjoyed, something I've always played. But I, I think I really fell in love with basketball when I was in high school and kind of realized how, how good of an outlet it could be from, from everything going on outside of the court because, you know, you go to practice for hour and a half, two hours a day, and during that time, it's just you and basketball. There's no other problems, and you know I think that that's kind of what made me fall in love with it at the beginning. And then, you know, the more success we started having with my team, and the more individual success I started having, obviously, the more fun it was, and it kind of took off from there. Jacob, I know you talk about some of that individual and team success. I know that that's certainly what your team has experienced this season. But even last season, when you had to sit out and redshirt, kind of talk about that experience, delaying basically a year of basketball and redshirting, but going behind a team that ultimately went to the NCAA tournament and a guy who played your position, who also was a monster in the paint, Josh Price averaging a double-double as well. Talk about that experience last season and now how gratifying that experience may be with the success you're having this year. Yeah, it, it was uh, last year was more of a learning experience than anything, and it was kind of one of those things that I hated at first, but I learned to realize that it was it was probably good for for me to develop as a player just mentally and learn more about the game and how to teach it and how to learn it from watching and um you know like you said josh is a he's a great player he's doing big things over in germany right now and um i was able to watch him and as a he's a veteran in the league he is average double double but um i took in a lot it was horrible sitting out i hated it i wish i could play but I learned a lot more than I thought I would. Got a lot more positive than than I thought originally. 
Jacob Polakovich of USI joining us, star forward. And you talk a lot about that, a lot about that learning experience. And you have one of the best to learn from in Stan Gerard as your head coach. You came over to USI from UIndy with him. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with Coach Gerard. Yeah, you know, uh, Coach Coach Gerard, he Coach G, I call him. He uh, recruited me out of high school, obviously, and. Um, when we when he started recruiting me it was right around like my dad passed away in high school and we kind of built a connection and you know Coach G has kind of been a he's been a good role model for me in the, at my few years at UND and when when I got over being mad he left me from there I started thinking about where I was going to go and you know talk to him and he basically he basically let me ask him I asked him if it was if there was any rules that would stop me from coming and you know like you said he's such a great ex to the nose guy but people don't see him off the court usually and like he's just he's an all-around good dude and great guy to be around and when I saw the opportunity I had it was a no-brainer to come I know you talk about the X's and O's and I know that for a coach, they they're extremely focused on the X's and O's, but the famous quote, it's not all about the X's and O's that win games. It's a lot about the Jimmy's and Joe's. And I know that one of those was Stan Gerard. Does he ever remind you guys of just how good of a division two player he was and maybe one of the best GLBC players of all time. And how, how awesome is that to have that as your coach now at two different universities? And uh, you certainly see the success that he has, but just knowing that he was just a bucket when he played in the GLBC. Yeah, he, you know, he obviously, I think he scored about 2000 points. Um, it's funny. You walk around the arena, you'll see his name and his face everywhere. I think he was on, he was on a national championship team and went back another year. Um, one player of the year, but um, it helps to have a guy around who has, first of all, had that type of success and knows what it takes to win, and also have a guy that understands the grind that it, that it takes to play in this league and how just how good this league is from him playing in it and coaching in it for as long as he has. Um, you know, it's it's players coach, and it's it's, it's helpful because he just, he gets it. And Jacob. You've seen your game really kind of explode this year. Your rate statistics going back to your career at UND were always great, but you have been able to stay on the floor, whether it be conditioning, staying out of foul trouble, just proving that you belong there more often than not, and obviously averaging a double-double on the season speaks for itself. But tell us a little bit about what it's been like to just see your game blossom and how much fun that's been for you as a player. You know, it was like I said, last year was a it was a long year mentally sitting out and watching the whole season, especially COVID and everything on my school transferring, but it, it feels rewarding to finally be, be able to go out there and play and be one of the top teams in the conference. And, you know, I think we're one of the top teams in the region as well. And it, it's rewarding. That's really, really the best way to say it because it, it, for a while last year, it felt like I was working so hard, but you never really get anything in return when you can't play a game. And, um, you know, it, it was I kind of had a slower start to the season, but once I kind of got back in my groove, my my groove of things, and you know, our team started clicking more and more, it was it, it got you getting fun. I know in the GLVC, a lot of the success is focused on the defensive end and how good you can defend your opponents. And I know your team has done a great job 
of that this season. I know that's really been the identity of a lot of successful screaming Eagle teams. But when you talk about going up in practice and you talk about last year with price or even this year going up, you know, against a big Tyler Dancy or other guys on your team who are just so talented on the offensive end. Do you think that is what takes the screaming Eagles to the next level on the defensive end? How you guys just really suffocate other teams with a ton of pressure? Yeah, you know, we talk about it all the time. The guys that do our scout team to prepare for us, prepare us for our games, I think are are good enough to start and play good minutes and impact a lot of these teams around the conference. And, you know, as competitive as it is around here, I feel like everyone, as much as we love each other, when between those lines, everyone's always trying to fight each other for minutes. And, and it puts it at that next level where everyone's trying to get better and trying to ultimately win. It's the same common goal. And, you know, going up against a guy like Dancy is it's it's hard. Obviously you guys have seen him play. He's probably one of the strongest players in the league, if not in division two. And um you know, it kinda it makes it easier when you go out there and go against a guy who's about half his size and half his strength and um and it's fun. Yeah, we've seen the screaming Eagles team at times look like one of the best teams in the entire country. Now it's been a, a matter of putting it together night in and night out and it's been a similar story for a lot of glbc teams what do, what allows your team to reach that level of elite play that we've been able to see from your group and then what's that next step to be able to bring that night in and night out in a conference that's as tough as the glbc yeah it, the glbc is a conference where you know any any team can beat anyone on any given night there's so much talent throughout the whole thing and um for us, I think our biggest thing is when we we're able to put together a full 40 minutes, you know, we'll have games where we'll hold the team to 15 points in the first half to give up 50 in the second. And, you know, those games where we go, go in the uh, halftime locker room and come out with that same focus and same intensity from the start and don't allow teams to have any confidence on the offensive end, that translates over to us, to our offense. And um, we start making shots and we start clicking and, Everyone's having fun, and all of a sudden we're up 30. And, it, you know, that, that consistency is what really, really gets us sometimes. And I think that'll come as season goes on, as we all mature and learn. And, you know, it comes through playing with each other as well. I know with Southern Indiana right now, Jacob, being in the top half of the league, you're set up right now to play a home game in the first round of the GLBC tournament, or ultimately, if you do get that top seed, get a bye. But one question I had is you have the best maybe facility in all of Division Two, but your team has been more of road warriors this year. You're eight and one on the road, five and four at home. So when you leave Screaming Eagle Arena, you guys have just had that road kill mindset talk a little bit about that you know it, it's funny because you think you know you think the record would be swapped and to be completely honest i'm not sure why we've been struggling at home i don't know what it, what it is but i think what helps us when we're on the road is some talk to my coaches and talk to a couple of guys is when you're on the road you got hour or two of study tables a day and then you're focused on basketball for the rest of it your team's together all day and it's it's a lot easier to lock in almost than I think it says a lot about the toughness of our team that we like going on those road games and we like beating other teams at, at their gym, especially when we're not technically supposed to. You talk about that toughness kind of being the identity of the team. Obviously, you get that started on the glass with the physicality there. Talk to us about the pride that you take personally in the physical nature that you bring on the interior 
And then how do you try to get that going for the rest of your teammates and just kind of what that, that environment is like in the locker room when you're trying to get each other to that level of challenging each other to reach the physicality that it takes to be successful in this league? Yeah, and it's like you just said, it's physical league. Um, you know, it, it's rebound is one of those things that, and Coach G will even say it too, it's, I feel like it's more of a hustle thing than anything. It's something you can control. You know, obviously there's rebounds that will land right in, your, right in your arms, but if you don't go chasing down, there won't, you won't finish with very many. And um, I think it's been proven this year when we, when we out-rebound teams, we, we almost always win the game um, when we dominate the glass because it, it's just it's part of defense. And statistically, we'll hold teams way lower amount of points. And, you know, that was our problem yesterday against William Jewell. We uh, gave up, I think, 10 offensive rebounds in the first half. And, you know, it, it, it's tough to win when you aren't rebounding. When you talk about that physical nature and that toughness for Southern Indiana as a whole, going off what you mentioned, Colin, I know that when we just turn the clock back to even the beginning of the season, your team goes on the road to take on Auburn University, and you're leading with, what, about eight and change to go against a Division One university. How did that feel just playing at Auburn in an exhibition contest, and what does it mean for this Southern Indiana team who maybe on the horizon is going to be a Division One team in the, re- in the near future? Yeah, that, you know, that game was fun. That environment is, is insane. Um, you know, I think we were we were up with six minutes left and didn't score for the last four, something like that. But it, I think it, it proved to us that you know we could compete at an elite level because um, Auburn is is seventeen eighteen game win streak right now, number one team in Division One, and it proved to us that when we defended and we played hard, we we were we elite level team. And I think it. Uh, I think it showed us and had us set to, to get this mindset that there, there shouldn't be a team at our level or any level that, that should beat us or be able to out-tough us. Um, I think that's really what kept us in that game with them is just how hard we played. If you go back and watch it, I think you know, we were the first to the floor. We were getting hands on uh, offensive rebounds, uh, getting downhill, creating contact, taking charges. And when you play like that, it's not, it's, it's not fun to play against. And, you know, it, it's exhausting. So I think that part of that helps us wear teams down and they get easy buckets on the other end and help maybe get bailed out on some jump shots because guys' legs are tired. Yeah, there's a long way yet to go still in DLVC play, but the initial points rankings came out in the conference and Southern Indiana sits right up near the top in third place, just hundreds of a point off of that first place position. You talked about the rebounding last time out and William Jewell needing to be improved. What else does this team need to do to end up in that number one spot come the year's end? Uh, you know, it, I think we're, we're in a pretty good spot right now if we if we went out here. Um, I think in terms of where our team needs to, to improve it, it, like I said earlier, it comes with putting together a full 40 minutes. You know, um, one night we might play defense for 40 minutes, but our offense struggling because turnovers whatever it may be or the other night you know we're scoring well but we're not defending and if we, whenever we're we're able to put together a full 40 minutes on both ends of the court it's we're hard to beat when we're playing fast having fun talking flying around it's I feel like we can't be beat to be completely honest and you know our uh, another thing we got to get better at 
our free throws. But, you know, it's, the crazy thing is we probably shoot more free throws than any team in the conference in practice, but they just haven't seen start falling yet for everyone. I'm myself included. I'm not shooting a great percentage, but, you know, a lot of that comes with confidence. We're just stepping up to the line and making shots. I know making shots, Jacob, yourself, you've done that a lot this year, but your guard play, the wings that are just so athletic and the ability to get downhill, just the way that a Jelani Simmons has been playing as of late and Tyler Henry, I think that this team, when people will watch it, people listening now, you can watch a lot of Southern Indiana's games on the GLVC Sports Network or even just head out to some of those games. You, I like how you talked about the team kind of builds some confidence and and it seems like you've had games this year where you've just run away with the game because when one guy makes a shot, then you have Simmons putting things in, then you've got Swope and Stafford and Jones, like your team feels like you have a lot of guys who can contribute to those high energy, high confidence plays. And it's just about just finding that confidence. Cause it seems like your team is extremely dangerous whenever you just have guys mm-hmm. that find a lot of confidence. And I know Jelani Simmons has just been playing great for you guys as of late. Yeah. And you know, I think our team's shooting percentage right now isn't, isn't, isn't true. If that makes sense. Um, our guards can really, can really fill up the, fill up the basket. And, um, you know, another thing that makes us so dangerous is it can be a different guy any given night, you know, Tyler Henry's had a couple games, 20, 23, 25. Jelani's going, going on 10 0 runs. You know, Elijah's just blocking shots, dunking the ball, swoops, hit the game winners. It's, you know, it's, it's anyone, any night. And I think a lot of that goes out to, like you said, it's a lot of it's about the, about who you have, not only what you're doing. And I think, you know, coach does a great job of putting our guys in positions to, to make shots. And, you know, I think our team does a great job of finding the hot hand. And, going at guys when they're making shots and I think as the season goes our confidence is just going to keep going up and we're going to keep making more shots and I think we're, we're going to turn into a real scary team Jacob one last thing before we let you go it's been a lot of fun to watch the streaming Eagles team play what's the most fun part about being a part of this team uh, the most fun part to me is uh, it's been the most fun thing with basketball in my whole life is winning games. There's nothing better than, than winning a game and going to the locker room with, with your best friends, your teammates, and celebrating it. And, you know, it's just part of that comes with the competitive nature of being around the game your whole life. And part of it comes with all the like, all the hard work, all the conditioning mornings and summer, all the weights, all the practices, you know. And when you win games, it, it feels like all of that was worth it. That's Jacob Polakovich, Southern Indiana star forward. We thank him so much for being a part of the show. For my partner, Will Connerly, and our producer, Joey Messenbrink, I'm Colin Surrey saying so long for now. But check us out on the GLBC show, and you can check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.